interview a lot of startups here on Tech Emergence, but we're very much still a startup ourselves. I still tune into who's connected with me on Facebook, who's connecting with me on LinkedIn, what are the industries and what are the roles that these folks have, and that helps me kind of tune what the editorial content is, what kind of interviews we want to bring on board, and what might uh, really bring value to these different people in the business community. And recently I had a conversation from a fella in the healthcare space who said that he tunes into AI and industry because it's the only place where he can hear about actual use cases, who's doing what, and what kind of impact is it actually made on companies, and what does that mean for the future. Uh, And that was excellent because that's what we've tried to dial down to in the next little bit. He gave me some great ideas about other topics that we might want to cover. And it's a good opportunity for me to say that, man, if you're tuning into this podcast, you've gotten a lot out of our episodes in the recent past. Certainly let us know. Drop a review on iTunes. That means the world to me. I read every single one of them. I've actually basically never asked for them, but certainly valuable feedback. Or feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. I'm in the middle of two separate conversations with different execs and listeners about the kinds of topics they're interested in. And that's the kind of thing that I take notes on uh, because I pay pretty close attention to the folks who are our listeners. So feel free to drop me a line, either iTunes, LinkedIn. Uh, Let me know your feedback on the show. And speaking of case studies, sticking with that thread, we're going to be diving dialing into case studies in the domain of machinery and heavy industry and the applications of AI, a space that we really haven't covered all that much in our recent history here on the AI and Industry Podcast. This week, we've got Talik Katsuri, who is the founder and CEO of Predi, P-R-E-D-I-I. It's a Palo Alto, California-based company focusing on applying artificial intelligence to predictive maintenance for equipment. So not just large and heavy machinery, but even just regular commercial automobiles or equipment for cutting meat in a deli, for example, smaller equipment. How is artificial intelligence being used in kind of machinery at large in order to help uh, service folks know what to replace, when to replace it, what to fix, when to fix it, and how to kind of stay ahead of that maintenance process so that instead of having breakdowns, they just have smooth running machines. It's pretty interesting to see which companies are picking up on this first until it had some interesting insights as to what industries are going to be most impacted by this trend in technology and what kind of implications that might have to the service industry at large, which was kind of a curious part of our conversation. So I certainly hope you enjoy this one. This is Talik with Predi here on the AI and Industry Podcast. So Talak, the first question I wanted to be able to dive in with you today here regards where kind of predictive maintenance is in use currently. I can imagine that there's a lot of aspiration in this domain. There's so much data spinning off of these machines and equipment and all these different industries, but there's probably some areas where even just today, there's very clear business value to the use of predictive maintenance in in terms of applying artificial intelligence. Where are those kind of very fleshed out, very sort of maybe more mature use cases in industry today? Thanks, Dan. So of course, the primary use case is going to be on the prescriptive side. I use the word prescriptive. You, we have technicians in the labor force that are trained to fix things. Now, the technologies around them are changing. And I'll use the two examples. One is in automotive space, and then one is just industrial equipment, right? Now, in the automotive space, the technologies obviously are exceeding the capabilities of any normal technicians in terms of sensors, in terms of what is failing, what the interrelationship between these components and there is absolute requirement for a data-driven approach where the technicians can 
make use of a lack of better word, an assistant, virtual assistant to guide them. So mm. the, the first application that we're seeing right away is us working, we're working directly with automotive repair servicing tools that are in the markets today to guide them with this intelligence. We use the word Freddy's uh, repair intelligence uh, being embedded in these tools so to guide the technicians to fix things. So, um, you know, a simple example is if you have a issue with, let's say, an air conditioning system for a Honda Odyssey Touring, uh, Dan, would, would you do, would you go directly to look at uh, AC refrigerant or would you go then check the compressor or then, uh, you know, the normal steps are you go through three or four things before you isolate the problem. It's a fairly a trial and error issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, with the help of repair intelligence, you could narrow it down directly to say, hey, Honda Odyssey Touring 2014 models, you should be actually looking at AC compressor relay switch, which is a $60 component, rather than you going through all these different permutations and combinations. I'm giving a very simple example. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I mean, a guided uh, repair or you know, making use of an assistant with the help of data, right? And so actually, I'm, I'm interested in diving into that example with you a little bit more. This might be different than what some folks might have supposed. And I'm going to kind of flesh out this Honda Touring air conditioning sort of problem. I think when people think about predictive maintenance, they think, all right, well, we'll, we'll attach something, we'll, we'll put sensors on various pieces and parts. We'll see what the vibrations are coming off of the, uh, you know, the muffler over here. We'll take a look at the sounds and the heat coming out of these three areas of the engine. Uh, we'll take a look at, you know, some other kind of compression sensor over here in the engine. And then using those patterns of information as the machine is running, we'll be able to kind of diagnose what's working, what's not working. It sounds like what you're talking about here is kind of a, a diagnostic tool where someone would enter the problem and they would be suggested more relevant solutions? Is this is this kind of a, a safe assumption? It, it seemed a bit different than maybe what, what I would have assumed, which would have been what I mentioned before of kind of sensors applied all over the machine. They're both. So what is happening today, there's simple, simple problems you could solve with the data, with which is there are diagnostic tools already out there in the market. There are market leaders that produce uh, these diagnostic tools from uh, companies that specialize in this. Now, the added advantage of having data-driven um, intelligence is you have carpools in the market that have been having a similar type of patterns of behavior. Yep. You know, for example, the one I gave you, Honda Odyssey Touring, it has very specific issue with related to a particular component, which is not going to be the same issue compared to for a Ford uh, F-150. Yep. Uh, you know, so that is low hanging fruit that we feel that it should be put in the hands of technicians and uh, through their existing tools. And we work with uh, companies uh, that actually manufacture these tools that embed our intelligence with, within those tools, right? So and that is one example. What's mm -hmm. an example of one of those tools, Tilak, just so I have uh, an understanding? A Snap-on is one of our largest customers. The Snap-on yep, diagnostic very familiar. tools, the scanners, is a good example. Okay, cool. And, so they, they have uh, they hook they hook up to kind of the computer system of the car, and they can kind of 
make sense of maybe what might be wrong? Or are you talking about some kind of sensor embedded in like their physical, you know, air guns or whatever other tools? Where, where are we embedding sort of your technology here? So these scanners, traditionally, they connect to your OBD2 port and they collect the data. While they're collecting the data, they, the Snap-on scanner can also communicate into the cloud and say, hey, what other things that are possible that, that are related to this particular vehicle's issue? And then they would tap into this repair intelligence. They actually provide an augmented uh, intelligence back to the scanner. Got and that's kind of how it is done, right? Great. So it's mostly okay. uh, it's like you're tapping into the cloud to get additional intelligence. And that's where the AI works really well. Excellent. Okay. Uh, because, you know, the AI works uh, by learning from past experience. Mm -hmm. And quick clarification on that. I think this is a really interesting example. And I'm, I'm, an analogy is being drawn to my head to lock. And I've never heard of this particular use case in sort of industry and machinery applications of AI, but I, I like the idea. Um, an example that kind of rings a bell is that clearly if, if you have you know, if, if you're hooked up to the cloud as opposed to some local machine that sort of hooks into the computer or the, the car's computer port, if you're hooked up to the cloud, then you can look at the kind of patterns of problems across specific vehicles, across specific circumstances and conditions, and maybe draw broader conclusions about what are the most likely ways to fix this? What are the the most likely problems that are occurring with this vehicle, and you can you can kind of drink in all of that information. And for all for all we know, Talak, like up in New England in February, the problems that happen with F one fifties most often when this when this uh, engine light goes on are much different than the problems that go off on the same truck in Texas at the same time of the year. So hypothetically, if you had a system that could kind of glean that and maybe coax out, hey, look, it's winter. You're in the you're you know in the suburbs of Boston. This is almost definitely going to be what your problem is. It sounds like that's the idea of drinking in all that information from similar vehicles and, and locations and whatnot, and then suggesting fixes, equipment, whatever, that will kind of solve that problem for that person. Is is that a, a proper way of painting what it is that you do? Yeah, I think that's that's really a great uh, way of explaining it. And and the, the the power of today's world is we've been surrounding with all these real world scenarios. You could, uh, you know, whoever has access to data and owns this data, they are in a better position to monetize it. And and these experiences and these would we call these repair strategies are hidden in this data, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah. putting it back into the hands of a technician is is going to be really awesome. And the companies that are traditionally in this segment, you know, uh, you have Bosch, you have Snap-on, you have OEM specific tools. They could make use of all of this data. But however, if you are a Toyota dealership and you could actually tap into just a Toyota specific uh, data. And uh, because your ownership of data is limited to that particular segment of vehicles. So whoever owns the data can actually put this data to really good use uh, by extracting this repair intelligence from that. Got it. Yeah. And it, it's the analogy that kind of gets drawn to my mind is there's a business called Inside Sales, which helps sales folks. It helps kind of create dashboards and prompt salespeople to make phone calls, make email outreach and uh, things along those lines, kind of directing the activities of business development and salespeople. And the the idea is that if they work with enough, you know, I'll give a random example that might relate to our conversation now. They work with enough, um, you know, 
car lots, you know, enough enough car dealerships, then they might be able to pick up on aggregate patterns of phone communication, in-person meetings, etc., that are more likely to lead to the sale of certain kinds of vehicles than others. And in so doing, they can build a better dashboard to suggest better actions that's going to drive more sales because they're hooked into so many businesses that are doing the same. It sounds like for you folks, the goal would be, hey, if, if you're already drinking in the information and kind of diagnostic kind of data from all of these different vehicles all over the country, then at some point, it would become a very easy choice to want to go with that tool that already has that intelligence rather than try to build something new or do something locally or whatever. That if you can get past a certain critical mass, you can become sort of a ubiquitously useful application in that in that sector. This is kind of what I'm hearing. Yes. And the added advantage to so two categories. One, if you are a uh, slightly different uh, use case, Dan, is... Uh, if you're a owner operator of uh, you early on in, in your question, you mentioned wind turbines. You're owner operator. You're a utilities company. You have thousands of wind turbines, and they are manufactured by a GE or a Siemens, or you have heterogeneous uh, OEMs that you own. Your job is to generate revenue from these wind turbines, and so you automatically have central maintenance organizations that are per their their purpose in life is to monitor and maintain these uh, uptime of these assets. And uh, you've been collecting the data. And so in this you in this world, you you want to be able to uh, predict before they fail. This is where the, the next generation of the solutions. The first example I gave is more prescriptive. Can you tap into the cloud for aggregate data? And uh, so that is that is one one scenario. In the second scenario is you have a large uh, volume of uh, equipment that is heterogeneous. Can you tap into your own historical data? Yeah. Can you tap into your own historical human intelligence? Your technicians have been repairing these particular uh, gearboxes or wind turbines. And uh, can you convert that into predictive maintenance so that you could only send them uh, a, a technician out there uh, only when it is needed, but you could actually do remotely uh, most of this uptime, keep the uptime. So that is on the owner-operator side. It's becoming really serious, high strategic value. On the uh, OEM equipment side, we're dealing with in the food equipment. It's very, uh, you know, application of AI in uh, a meat slicing equipment, right? <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're actually see, seeing that we were approached by appliance companies that are producing commercial grade equipment that have they're very sophisticated they have cameras they have sensors they have wow. you know end of the day they're cutting meat and then wrapping the <laughs> yeah. meat and 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 packaging them yeah what we're seeing them value is yes you've been collecting you have thousands of technicians in the market you have human intelligence heuristics and uh, you yeah and then you invested in iot now that is where our unique value comes in. What we we call it natural and unnatural language processing. Natural is you know whatever you're tapping into your data sensor data and and numerically telling them what is an anomaly, what is not an anomaly. We we also call it unnatural. What the technician is saying in the on the field has a lot more value, and you could put that back to your use in the form of repair intelligence, so that. Uh, you could drive these repair strategies. You could drive which part you need to carry when you actually dispatch a technician to fix a problem 
and uh, you could actually make, make it a lot more intelligent. You could cut down the number of visits from two visits to one visit. Yep. So you see the real-world applications are becoming really, really great in, uh, as we are getting into these traditional uh, industries. Yeah, it seems like, you know, when, when you first, you know, when I, when I think of companies like you folks or Uptake or the other people that are in some, somewhere in this mix of machinery and industry and AI, like heavy industry and AI, you know, the first things you think about are jet engines and wind turbines. At least that, that's it for me. But, you know, you don't think about, you know, cars, which aren't maybe not owned by a business, they're just owned by people, and there's just a car shop that needs to fix them. You don't think about uh, meat slicing equipment, because you just, you would never think of that. But the truth is, I, I suppose anything with moving parts that's valuable, that involves repair, that's that's expensive, could warrant and probably should warrant some degree of the same technology. You had mentioned, and I want to touch on this as we move into our last point here, you'd mentioned that a company that might be large enough would be able to have their own pool of data and information uh, that they could draw from to sort of help predictively maintain their various pieces of equipment and know what to repair and whatnot. And my thought is that probably where most of the value will be driven with these kind of technologies in the near term will be within businesses that have enough data to supply their own self-improving loop. And that only once that's been done with enough of those companies can those aggregate learnings be used to apply to maybe smaller businesses that just don't have the data themselves to drive their own improvement because they're not putting out enough data that they wouldn't be able to train their own algorithms just on the limited number of machines that they have. That in order for them to get the benefits that we're talking about, we would need to have this kind of stuff plugged into enough businesses with more data for enough time to to kind of get these aggregate learnings. Is that is that an accurate assessment of sort of how this stuff might roll out from larger to smaller businesses over time? Yes, so absolutely. This is this is the way we are solving is using AI. The AI is dependent on data as a fuel and the learning and the past experience. So the the first phase of these rollouts are companies that are already collecting uh, data yeah. have tons of experience in the past. And they could apply it back to, I, I like the word you use, self-improving loop. They could put it back into a loop uh, and uh, make use of it, their own data to, um, you know, mostly we're seeing this where as companies are getting more and more paying attention to the servicing side of the revenue, our revenue generated by a, a revenue generating asset which is a turbine or, you know, or I'm taking a vehicle, uh, a fleet of vehicles. So that's where we're seeing immediate uh, application of uh, what we're producing. Got it. Yeah, that does make sense. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, when folks like yourselves are plugged into enough of these big companies that have the data to to kind of create these self-improving loops, when enough of that is happening, eventually there might be some aggregate learnings where you can go ahead and find find somebody with – you know, who doesn't have a fleet of trucks, they might only have six trucks, but you already have the learning for those truck models and you can already deliver benefits to that guy. Or they might be a supermarket chain that, that only has maybe four or five of these meat chopping machines, but you already know what the patterns are for kind of maintenance and repair of those meat chopping machines. And you, you don't need somebody that has 500 of them to be able to, to, to deliver results. Um, so in, in terms of where you see, just as the last question here, you know, if you look ahead half a decade and you ask yourself, 
where are we most likely to see broad adoption of this kind of predictive maintenance? You know, is it when you look ahead like that, do you see particular sectors being more exciting than others, particular business models being more exciting than others? Is it really based almost entirely on size of company? In just the next half decade, who's most likely to make this a normal part of business, a necessary part of business? I think the servicing industry will be the early adapters of this. Um, the servicing industry in the sense where you you have a large pool of servicing technicians out there in the market that are producing revenue for you in terms of warranty repairs or post-warranty repairs. And that industry will will get quite a bit of benefit from, from this uh, in, the, in the next four to five years. Now, moving forward, where we see this being embedded into connected trains, connected cars, connected transportation as a yeah, general, yeah. connected equipment. Now, can I fast forward there, you know, this, this second segment of way where this would be uh, coming in is this has to be embedded into this connected ecosystem because now you could make decisions on what we call the before it fails, uh, can I auto-correct it? Can I uh, send uh, something that dropship a part to you that you don't need to wait for the part to come? And then so I could automatically route it to a, a technician network that will come and uh, take care of it. That's where uh, we would see it, uh, talking to uh, one of the large tier one part suppliers. Um, everybody is investing into uh, autonomous driving um, technologies in yep. the automotive side. They yeah. see in 10 years when the car is about to fail, uh, you know, the car would automatically uh, know it needs to be uh, taken off the road and needs to go, you know, almost like a self check-in to a, a repair shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and those things will come in because you have the data. You you could make those decisions, and uh, you know people, you know companies like Pretty would be in there uh, trying to make sense out of this data. But not only when things fail, but also continuously learning from it and continuously being monitoring uh, of the health uh, health monitoring on a regular basis is going to become a common thing you know, decade from now, you know. In terms of um, what that means for business, you know, we've got folks tuned in and I think this is a, obviously a, this affects, you know, the economy at large. We're really not talking about, you know, one particular, you know, business application that the ramifications from this are pretty broad. We've got people probably in, you know, Asia and in the U.S. listening in. We've got people in, you know, who, who are in marketing services and marketing tech, people who are in, you know, healthcare and whatnot. Um, when you think about how this affects business and sort of the economy at large, this broad trend towards sort of self-repair and machines, if someone's in a business that's large enough where they do have a lot of their own equipment or they do depend on, you know, transportation systems like all large businesses do to sort of keep, keep, their, uh, keep their business up and going, what are the considerations for the future that business people might, might be thinking about today given these changes that are going to be happening? What are the, the strategic planning factors that leaders are making uh, and, and again, those kind of strategic considerations for a future where machines know when they need to be fixed and maybe fix themselves. I, I think that we, we uh, underestimate from from these enterprises that have investments made 
sometimes the obvious need for the data is not there. You know, you might not see immediate ROI on the data. Hey, why am I collecting this data and just being, you know, put in the closet, you know? And yeah. uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes there's not very obvious things. And we have proven uh, to large enterprises that, hey, uh, even if you collect data that's not seemingly useful today, you should make an investment in um, in a planning your data infrastructure such a way that it could be put to use very immediately or even in future. So historical data it has huge uh, ramifications in future, and especially for these organizations. And so, and uh, the two is the data side regulations will start to come in. You know, if you are an owner operator collecting data, the OEMs might not be motivated to share with you all the data. Now, their data in in certain uh, segments, there will be data regulations that would be powering those, uh, you know, the right to repair act kind of thing in automotive would start to trickle down into other industries, in my opinion, where there will be a lot more openness in sharing the data. So whoever owns the data could could make these decisions much more, uh, you know, benefit them, the business. And uh, I feel they're in those areas that I feel, you know, uh, the investments can be made more appropriately. No, I I appreciate that. And that's a good note to close on for the people who are tuned in. You know, there's businesses that are listening in now that have, you know, machinery and uh, networks of machinery that drive such a huge amount of value and are, are such a huge cost in terms of what their maintenance looks like. Um, you know, we see companies like Tesla, we see companies like Netflix, we see companies like Amazon using their own data and their own historical information to really drive these massive self-improving loops. It's probably not going to be forever until other businesses with, you know, that much equipment or that much action going on are, are going to kind of be forced to do the same thing. And so it might be a useful prompt to remind folks that maybe collecting things now could make sense. Setting up your data infrastructure in a more effective way could make sense given those uh, future considerations. Silak, that's that's all the time that we have for today, but I sincerely appreciate your insights on predictive maintenance today. Thank you. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week. 